Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Campionato di calcio italiano Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good whatever, good weekend. Hello and welcome to the latest Fourth Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and I've got my two friends with me again. First up, Vito Doria. Vito, hello, hello. Hello, Connor. Good to be back as always. Always, mate. I'm always, it's always good to see you. And also here is the granddad, Kev Fogazowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. That's of the granddad. <laughs> well, you didn't help yourself with the way you, you joined this call this evening by having the, the camera facing your ceiling and you mumbling in the background. So I was really acting my like a granddad. Position. Right, stop speaking and acting like a granddad, and I will stop calling you granddad. I think that's a fair enough trade, no? Yeah, I do have grand nieces and nephews. But anyway. Hey. You're not helping your cause, mate. No. You're really not helping. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent, fantastic. Right, let's dive straight into this. There was a big game this weekend, boys, and the result was painfully predictable because despite AC Milan taking a, a 1-0 lead at the Allianz Stadium, Juve, of course, came back and won 2-1. Kev, business as usual. Yeah, it was business as usual with Juve, but I was quite... In one way, I was a little bit disappointed in Milan. But in another, it kind of reiterated what we said in the last couple of weeks. It's just that they, I think, with a little bit more quality, um, they can take a few of the chances that they had and maybe actually get the result that I wrote earlier in the uh, week that I thought they might get because Juve would have an eye on the um, Champions League. Yeah, I want to pull you on that because you were quite optimistic about this game, weren't you? I was. It was kind of 50% that Juve would be focusing on Champions League um, action this Wednesday and then that that Milan really needed to strengthen their own position in the Champions League. And I thought those two things would would mean that Milan might walk away with a, a victory. 
I think it was a shame really that they didn't they didn't even manage to secure a draw in the end. I was at in the um the press room at Parma when the teams came out for this. Um whatever way the graphic for Juve was released, it was like Leonardo Spinazzola playing as a right winger. They had who else was it? It was it was a bit of a crazy setup from both teams, really. And everyone was saying, Oh, this is just a friendly game. It's just a friendly game. But Vito, it turned out to be quite entertaining, really. Uh, yeah, it did, actually. Um, usually you'd think it'd be a bit cautious, especially from the Juventus perspective, but uh, Milan really had a good go at them. And uh, we'll talk about the refereeing decisions later on, but I thought putting them aside, Milan had enough chances to score in open play themselves, especially with Piontek. He got the goal, but he probably had two or three other chances to add to that. And the much maligned Hakan Chalkanoglu, he had two free kicks and maybe if he was in his Bayer Leverkusen form, he probably would have put those in the back of the net too. So it's one of those games, you know, even beside the polemics, I think Milan had enough chances and opportunities to get at least a point or maybe even the win. Mm, Sure. It's quite funny about Chalkanoglu because... There was that the one free kick in particular that hit the side netting and Milan fans thought it was in was very good. But he arrived and everyone described him as a free kick specialist. Has he scored one free kick since coming to Serie A? I'm not quite sure. You're lucky to say one, if that. Hmm. But put it this way, someone like Arkadiusz Milik at Napoli these days is more of a specialist than him. Yeah, I'd agree with that, to be fair. Kev, I'm going to ask you possibly a, a difficult question. Because Juve are just about to win their eighth straight Scudetto. They've only lost once in Serie A this season, as well as losing to Atalanta in the Coppa Italia. Just had to say it. And they've got Cristiano Ronaldo. But how good are they? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't even know if the Champions League shows this this year because they, they overturned a two-goal deficit against a, a relatively underperforming um, Atletico Madrid in the in the Champions League, they've they've had no real pressure from anybody in Serie A to win the league. In a stronger season, you could you could have seen them relinquish the the, the title because that they they are having something of a, a transition period. And but even even next season, I don't see anybody strengthening enough for us to really know how how good this current this current Juventus side are? No, it's a really difficult one because we do often criticise them and I'm going to get into a conversation that's not going to be critical of them as well, but they seem to just win Serie A by default and I know it's not their fault that they're the best team around by some distance. It's everybody else's, but they don't help themselves by being so boring to watch most weeks. Um, Vito, what, what do you make of Juventus? That's one of the main points. They are not the best team to watch. They really are, in a way, the quintessential Italian team. You know, just the classical build on your defence first, rely on individual talents to score enough goals and then just let the other team play and then try to wear them out. It works in Italy, but I've said many times, I think it's the downfall in Europe. And uh, ultimately... You know, it's, it isn't all Juventus's fault, you know. At least they have the Agnelli family or the holding group that 
that's involved in providing finances. You've got Andrea Agnelli as the president, so that's there. But all the other clubs or significant clubs that had big owners in the 80s and the 90s, they don't have that anymore. So they've got to work on limited budgets. And it's up to the other squads to sort of realise they can't really compete with Juventus financially. They've got to focus more on working on limited budgets and that can be coming down to a number of things, whether it be paying less for players or scouting for players in different places or more money into youth development, several other factors too. So, yeah, it'd be really stupid if other clubs tried to outspend the Juventus or think they can just compete with the Juventus just by spending more money because it's not as easy as that. I'd agree. I'll stick with you, Vito, but how much longer do you think this Juventus stranglehold on Serie A will continue for? Look, uh, where, where I see a bit of positives is that there are some young Italian players coming through, but they're coming from pretty much all over the place. So it's easy to think that Juventus will probably try and snap them up again. So that's probably one of the downside. Um, to be honest, I think it's got to be something out of nowhere where it'd be more foreign investment, you know, just non-Italian businessmen pumping more money into Italian football, uh, the federation could introduce more regulations in regards to how clubs are run, or yeah, just something out of the ordinary. Another thing would be yeah, just if someone just decides to change their methods, like instead of trying to spend money on players, maybe recruit in other countries that we're not looking at as much, you know, or more focused on youth. And uh, I'll quickly touch without going too much on a tangent. Historically, Serie A has looked at Brazil and Argentina for talent and used to be great. They used to be great for finding players, but Serie A clubs can't afford the best Brazilians and Argentines now. Um, one nation that has been a good place for Serie A clubs is Poland. Mm. And a few of these players are in their national teams. So maybe Italian clubs got to look more into Eastern Europe as opposed to the traditional scouting points of South America because there are some good bargains, not just Christoph Piontek. And there probably are a few other hidden jewels that Serie A clubs haven't picked up on and they should snap them up before Liga, Bundesliga, La Liga, or even EPL snap them up. Yeah, well, we've seen, you've seen Sampdoria quite closely do that, exploit the Eastern European market, and Napoli have kind of done okay from it as well. But Kev, do you reckon you'll live to see anyone else win Serie A? Once again, I'm not that old. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't <laughs> uh, no, I, I'd hope so, but I just I do fear that that you, Juventus need to get significantly weaker for that to happen, as opposed to you know maybe one of the Milanese giants coming coming through and, and, and challenging them. Um, I think it's just a shame that last year when Napoli ran them so close that Napoli didn't pick them because it might have given not only the other Italian clubs hope that they could do something similar, but also maybe that players that come into the league could see why it would be worthwhile signing for a, a Napoli, a Milan, an Inter, as opposed to just going where they're, they're almost guaranteed to, to collect a trophy. So you think of the likes of Bernadeschi, you know, we think about where Chiesa is going to go next year. Well, if he goes this year from, uh, from Fiorentina, if he wants to win trophies, he's, surely only going to look at Juventus if they were to make a move for him or or move abroad. And I think it's a 
it's a shame. I think it's something that's also happening in, in, in France where, you know, you've got PSG and then just that, those few teams below them, nobody really wants to go there if they haven't got any chance of fighting for a, for a, other trophies. Yeah, well, on Chiesa, I think he'd be mad not to leave Fiorentina. I mean, they're closer to the relegations on than Europe this year, which just seems crazy given how close they were for much of the season. But yeah, it's kind of not the best conversation, but we're going to have one very similar next week again, I'm sure, because Juventus will win Serie A away to Spal more than likely. But let's, let's get on to the game then, Kev. Um, where shall we begin with this? Let's let's start with Christoph Piontek's goal because it was a well-taken finish. They they were clinical, as he always is. Uh, Tim, Timmy Ubekioko deserves a lot of credit for intercepting Bonucci's pass. But I want to talk about Piontek beyond his goal he had a miss I think it was before the goal as well and the camera panned in on him and he was he was laughing about it he was smiling and I really really liked it because it made me the way he was behaving made me think oh okay he knows that's his last miss and he's scoring next and sure enough he did the business and even when he misses he's still confident yeah I think there's an element of his age and the run of form that he's in that gives him that confidence and also maybe a small part of you're away to Juve, you're not expected to win. Yeah, again, another one of the reasons why you kind of thought that there's no pressure on on Milan if they were to get going to get a victory. There was there was no pressure on any of them, let alone the Piontek. But he is sort of uber confident at the moment, so you you can understand why he expects himself to gobble up the next chance, even if he misses another. Mm, right. Let Let's get into it. Penalties. We'll start with Juve's. It was given. Musacchio was completely moronic. Vito, did you see it any other way? Mm. To be honest, as much as I don't like uh, Musacchio, uh, I thought it was probably a tad harsh, probably because I didn't think he was trying to maliciously tackle a Dybala. I thought he got it. He got the ball. We tried to go for the ball, and then uh, as he was uh, sliding down, he managed to get Dybala too. But the way Dybala was running was like Dybala was cunning enough to sort of make a slight adjustment to run into him, and he knew he'd get the free kicks. Oh. I mean, the penalty, sorry. So in that well, aspect, um, that's Dybala where... Do that, though. A striker yeah. will always put his body in front of the ball, and if a defender is stupid yeah. enough to tackle him, he deserves to have mm. a penalty given against him. Yeah. Well, that's probably in uh, the regard where Musaku should have stayed on his feet and more so because it is Juve. As I've said several times, and I'm sure everyone else has throughout previous episodes of the podcast, Juventus are going to get the benefit of the doubt. So as the old saying goes, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So that's where everyone else in Italy has got to open their eyes. I see You've got to look at every little situation. Juve's got to get it. So... Can't keep crying foul. Uh, I, yeah, you can keep crying foul. And if this was Frozenone away at Juve, they get that penalty. Because the defending was just, it was unbelievable. And I tried to praise Musacchio last week for how he seemed to have developed a little bit. But Kev, this was just ridiculous. No, it was It was just stupid on his part. And I know sort of Vito says about you expect Juve to get that, that, that sort of decision at home. But we've got VAR now. You know, if you if you're stupid enough to make that challenge, and you know the the 
the the slightest of touches is going to get picked up on the VAR. It looks always looks worse in in slow motion replays, and you you can't really. <laughs> I was going to say you you can't not give it, but then Milan weren't given there, so. Right. Well, I'll stick with you for that one then. Do you think Milan's was a penalty? I can see, well, yeah, so there's that these are always given. I think, particularly with VAR now, these would always be given. And it, when when we have on the same weekend the example at Lazio where they get theirs, the balls, there's, there's, this, there's this seemingly rule now where if the ball is going into the direction of the penalty area uh, or towards the goal and it changes direction based on striking someone's arm whether they whether they meaningfully put their arm out there if it strikes if it strikes their arm if their arms in a not necessarily unnatural position but as part of the process of trying to block or make a tackle your arms come out and you've diverted the ball into a different direction i can see why that's given because you don't know where it's going to fall in the box and when that ball hits alexandra it goes out for a corner you know, it, 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 there was nothing. There was nothing faint about the touch once it struck his arm. You know, there was maybe a question of how close it was to his body. Yeah, but he's he's dived that he's not. He's no longer on his feet, so he's dived to put as much of his body in in the way of the the ball. And it was it was it was quite shocking that they didn't get it, even for the amount of of times that a home side may get a a, a call on the on the on the border go for them rather than against them. But with VAR, I just couldn't understand why it wasn't given. See, I don't think this is a penalty. And this, this exposes flaws with the, the handball system because it is still open to interpretation, which it shouldn't be. Because like you say, you see those given so often. And I'm sure with half of Serie referees, it would have been given as a penalty. And with the other half, it wouldn't have. I don't see how this can be a penalty because go, going to ground is perfectly legal. You are allowed to slide in. And what is Alexandro supposed to do with his arm in that situation? If you try and slide in any situation, your arm goes there. And I think, to be, to be frank, Alexandro did quite well to have it as close to his body as he did because it's not like he can just temporarily remove it or make it an object that can be passed through. I this to me is is a problem with the, the rules about um, balls and, and not so much with the individual decision because the decision, the rules as they stand, leave it to the referee's interpretation. And I 100% agree that there's no way a penalty could be given for that. And that, that's what I need to resolve though, how the referees are interpreting it. Because if they say to them, you know, if the ball strikes their arm in the area, they're not standing up right, they're not maybe. They're not a yard away from it, you know, because those two decisions this weekend were not that dissimilar for one to be a penalty and one not to be a penalty. Yeah, this is the problem. It really is. Um, they, they have actually announced new rules with regards to a lot of things in football, particularly handball, to take effect from next season. And you'll be happy to know it's just as vague and interpretable as it currently is. So. This discussion is going to be happening for a long, long time. But I've just had a tweet in response to the FAF account to say that Alexandro's handball is clear cut. There we go. I think this this discussion is probably a precise sign of exactly what's wrong with it, that we watch football every week. We see decisions like this every week and we still can't decide whether or not it should be a handball based on the rules. But 
Let's move on from the penalty chat. Um, and let's go on to some equally offbeat things. Uh, Moise Ken, Vito, he scored a big goal after a really, really horrendous week for him. He's still keeping up his uh, good form, man. It's uh, great to see. After the uh, racist uh, scenario at um, Kayori where the ch- where the fans were making racist uh, taunts at him, um, yeah, it's great that he keeps his head up and he can provide some bottle goals for the Bianco Neri. And it's good that he's, you know, he shows that he lets the football do the talking. I thought Moise again has been so admirable this week in the way he dealt with everything. He was racially abused for near 90 minutes against Cagliari and scored a goal. Pretty big release of tension, I'm sure. And he stood there silently with his arms out wide and he managed to get criticised by his own teammate, Leonardo Bonucci. Kev, what did you make of this? It was, it was well, it was idiocy, wasn't it? On, a, on, a, on another level, I think. it's it, Even the backtracking after his, his comments were, were shocking. I, you know, I, I put a tweet out at the time when I saw the uh, saw the comments from Bonucci just saying that it's never it can never be the person's fault for scoring a goal. You know, we have all been in a stadium and as an opposition fan where somebody has scored in front of us and we probably give them them dogs abuse, but never based on their race, ethnicity, you know, country of birth, whatever it is. It, you know, you you do have that pure anger at someone scoring against your side, but they're just mindless. They're mindless idiots. For for Venucci to suggest that in any way that his reaction to his goal inflamed that system, uh, that scenario, or went any way to you know to being a fault on his part was you know if if a, if a if those if those two players had been sort of similar age stages of their career, you know, won the same things, you'd think that would cause an absolute rip through the dressing room. It's only because it's an extremely senior member of the the side and obviously a youngster coming through that it probably hasn't caused a, a larger disruption to to the Juventus dressing room. No, I think it's pretty appalling to be fair. Even just on a kind of I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but on, on the basis of team spirit, surely Benucci should be sticking with Ken, irrespective of his skin colour. Benucci should just be saying, yeah, the Calgary fans were, were out of order. Um, Ken did nothing wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. The, 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 the response should have been, no one deserves to get that sort of abuse. Mm. That's it. Whoever it is. I, I don't understand how you could even say anything other than that, especially... Oh, Benucci's then, his his post-match Instagram and social media updates were all about him. He's got to say, oh, I've played my 250th game for Juve and I scored a goal. I'm great. And while this is happening, everyone is going mental and understandably mental because Benucci said what he said. And it's, it's just ridiculous. And I'm quite disappointed, but not surprised that, that Juventus didn't make him properly explain himself. Not through Instagram through actually coming out and speaking about what he said, why he said it, and just having to actually face up to the things that he made. Because he basically endorsed racism in certain situations. He says, yeah, Ken shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have done that. But if Ken does that, what does he expect? Like it's, to say he, he deserves 50% of the blame is just it, absolutely mind-boggling. But sadly, it's not really. It's 
frustrating more than anything else. But yeah, um, I did write something very, very quickly on that. If you want to head over to ForzaTalianPopal.com and read that. Anyway, Juventus playing the Champions League this week. Um, Manchester United veto. Do you fancy their chances? Well, uh, Juve, yeah, they're playing right. Hang on. Yeah, playing, what have uh, I said? Sorry, I've been writing about You said Manchester, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're writing about I was thinking, yeah. Look, uh, I think there's a good enough team for Juve to win against Ajax in Amsterdam, even without Cristiano Ronaldo. So um, I'm not showing any disrespect to Ajax or underestimating them, but just on the basis of the squads on paper, even in the Netherlands, I think Juventus are more than capable of getting a result. And again, know a little dig at Allegri I think it's Allegri's to lose not so much uh, interesting way to frame that we'll we'll see what happens anyway let's not go too much into that because we have spent 20 minutes already just talking about these teams Inter Atalanta Kev it ended scoreless and both teams will probably be happy with the points yeah I think so I think obviously there was the there was the opportunity for Atalanta to jump into the Champions League places but you know, you still got to consider that they were playing third in the league. Um, I, you know, you you see a lot more of, of Atalanta than I do, but they they looked really nervous at the start of their game. I, I don't know if that's how they've been sort of approaching games in the sort of first 10, 15 minutes, but they seem really, really eager to sort of push to press and they I sort think, of just I think keep playing and skipping past them. This, this happens a little bit with Atalanta because of the way they play. Um, it can often be interpreted as nervousness, which I guess sometimes it could be, and you could understand that, I guess, today. But yeah, a lot of the time, they're just quite eager up and at you, and sometimes it doesn't quite work early on, and I think that was the case today. Especially- I, think the way they, I think the way they hit Bologna um, on Monday, uh, was it Monday? No, midweek, wasn't it? It was one of the midweek pictures. Uh, I think the way they hit them, maybe they had that in the back of their minds as well, so they thought, you know, the, on the back of that confidence, they just thought, let's just try and go, get an early goal. Um, but, but you know, once they settled down, it was like you said, it's a fairly even game. Um, Gomez had that uh, opportunity in the second half where it just flashed across his uh, his diving body. Mm. But Zapata was missing, and it, it told really. But I've seen a lot about Atalanta Vito on them social media things this week, and a lot of people seem to be saying that. And I don't understand this. Tell me if it's just because I support Atalanta or not. But a lot of people seem to be saying that they don't want Atalanta to get the Champions League because the Milan clubs are better equipped to play in the Champions League. But surely if Atalanta qualify, that means they are. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to disagree with the notion on social media. I think a lot of people, and I'll use this word, they are scarred from the last 10 to 15 years. All these third or fourth place teams, these smaller clubs that have got in, at least when there was a qualifying round system of the Italian teams just self-destructing and not putting up much of a fight. Um, Personally, I think with Inter Milan, there's, look, they're historically big clubs. They've got big fan bases and they do have more money than Atalanta but they're underachieving by their standards and what most people expect of them. Atalanta have a limited budget and Gasparini in three seasons has given them an identity, a style of play 
that's probably been missing in my lifetime of watching Atalanta. Atalanta's been known for the youth academy, but there hasn't been a coach like Gasparini to really bring the best out of those talents, and he's done that. Not only that, Atalanta's also found other players to help those players grow. What a lot of Serie A fans are probably scared of is that historically Atalanta don't have that big record in Europe, but Gasparini did a good job, you know, not was last season when they were in the Europa League and they were probably a bit unfortunate to be eliminated by Borussia Dortmund. But it's those qualifiers, you know, notifications, sorry. So a lot of people, I think they're scared of of teams underachieving like Lazio has done a couple of times in the last 15 years or so. Um, it was Sampdoria losing in 2010 to Werder Bremen, but I blame Domenico Di Carlo because he's a rubbish coach. Kiev uh, was results now, a proof of that, but there's more to it than that. Um, and a few other teams that finished fourth, they didn't really make it. But the worst one was Udinese. Honestly, they did make the group stage in 0506, but every other time when they qualified, absolute disgrace. Uh, and I'm sure Serie A clubs... And fans are sick of that because they want to see Italian football back up. And uh, I reckon a lot of people just have those fears. But uh, I see the way Atalanta run as a club and what Gasparini did in the Europa League. I've got more confidence in Atalanta than what I would have had in Udinese five, ten years ago. So I don't really expect a repeat of that despite the way Atalanta were eliminated from the Europa League this season. I think the Copenhagen situation is a bit of an exception. Um, I got more faith in the Atalanta project. I'd agree that this year was an exception because Atalanta couldn't score goals for the first seven weeks of the Serie A season. And now they're the highest scorers in Serie A, along with Juve. And they got knocked out on penalties. And one of the players who missed the penalty is no longer at the club. So I really doubt what you will, but... See, I find this quite amusing because UEFA changed the Champions League setup with a kind of an eye on the Super League to remove the qualification stages for for leagues like uh, Syria and uh, also for La Liga. And then you've got potentially Atalanta squeezing into the Champions League spots. You've got Getafe sitting in fourth, in you know, so it's, it's going completely against what I think they wanted to they wanted to do. But what what do you make of Atalanta, this this current team? Hypothetically, this team as it currently exists in the Champions League. I think they're a bit too open. Um, Well, look at Ajax, Kev. They're not exactly a shut-up-shop team, are they? Yeah, I don't know. But Ajax, uh, I'm trying to think of how how the seeding works. Which are the leagues that get the top seed anyway because they're the league winners aren't they so Ajax would have got that last year um, no because they were in a group with I know because Russia gets a seeded spot uh, yeah I think, if you could, I think if you can grind your way through the through the group stage then you, then you may be alright um, then it doesn't really matter too much because you can you can sometimes outscore um, somebody well, they, like Real Madrid Ajax were in a group of Bayern Munich so they mustn't have been in the top no, so then they weren't top seeds. Yeah, and people would have thought that Benfica would have done something out of that group too because the only weak link was Bayek Athens. Mm. Well, so. I, I don't know. I think it would be quite exciting to see them there. And it's it's easy to forget 
last time they got to the group stages proper of the Europa League, they didn't lose a game. They beat Everton 5-1 away and they were seven minutes away from knocking out Borussia Dortmund. So they've got pedigree for doing something that people don't necessarily expect from them. Yeah, like I said, still much better than what anything Udinese has done in a long time. Okay, Only the in, 09 UEFA Cup. Yeah, true. true. With Coyarella. You know, Inter, we're going to go to Inter. Because the boy is back. The captain, the snake, he's back in the team. Mero is out <laughs> football. What's happened there? I suppose Spalletti's just thrown the towel. Uh, maybe <laughs> a lot of people are speculating he's just made it about him, I suppose. But when you look at the situation, um, whatever it is, if it was something between Spalletti and Icardi or if it was Icardi and the club, Either way, you can't have your best players out for too long anyway. So even if deep inside you're not really happy with the player or the situation, you've got to find ways to just be as professional as possible and then try to do the best things for the team and to obtain results because, uh, you know, especially based on last week where they lost to Lazio, you could tell that Icardi's presence was really missing and they needed a centre forward. So they got the big win against Genoa. They couldn't get the three points against Atalanta at home, but um, Icardi's just one of those players that, look, in the long run, regardless of what you think of him as a person or what you think of his wife as a person, as a footballer, he's someone that can be beneficial to a side, especially when he's putting the ball at the back of the net. Yeah, but he's, he's barely done that since... November, I guess. Kev, I'm getting back into Twitter polls. So I did one the other night and I, I said, Ari Icardi, does Spalletti or do Inter now look weak or did they absolutely need to play him again? And 69% said they absolutely had to play him again. What do you think? No, I kind of agree that, that they had to play him again. You do wonder if they were in, say, Napoli's position with a little bit more of a cushion for Champions League. And maybe even if... So you take the scenario that maybe it's Insigne at Napoli. With the other attacking prowess that they've got up there, they they, they could afford to, to play hardball with him. Inter don't have that luxury because everything goes through him. Even with Martinez's uh, upturn in form, they, they just couldn't afford to take that chance. It's too risky. There's no question that Inter or Spalletti kind of panicked a little bit and said, oh, we need to play him for the Champions League. And I think it it shows something of a weakness from his, his standpoint because he, he tried to make a big point that, okay, Icardi, you're gone. You don't exist. And now he's backtracked and mm. gone back to him. I don't think anybody expects Spalletti to be there either. Mm. Like next year. Yeah. So I don't think if they're gonna if they're going to retain Icardi in the summer, it doesn't weaken the coach's position because the coach will not be there. Do you not think so? Because then should he not care even <laughs> a little bit less? One of them has to go. I think they both will. To be well, honest. yeah, but I don't think both can stay. They can both go or one can go, but I don't think both of them can stay. If if Inter keep Icardi after this, I think it just shows that he is holding them. But who's Icardi. taking Icardi after this? Real Madrid. It's like someone will buy him. Paris Saint-Germain will buy him if no one else will. Um, he will find a club. He's one of the best finishers in the world. 
Yeah, I don't think he'll find. I, I'm not. I'm not as convinced that he'll find a club of the level that he thinks he wants to step up to after Inter. Well, yeah, he's not going to go to Europa League because well. Real Madrid, for all the prestige and the, obviously being able to afford the probably extortionate fee that Inter want for him, they are a bit of a circus. It's still what two titles in best part of a decade. Okay, they're the trio of European cuts, but that only sort of papers over the, say, the mediocrity that runs through the club most of the time. I'm trying to go through it now. Chelsea, Chelsea would have them, but they might not be allowed to. Um, City, no. United, maybe. No. No? Liverpool definitely wouldn't touch them. Spurs, no. Real Madrid, Barcelona. He's probably burnt his bridges at Barcelona. Because um, Messi hates him or something, doesn't he? So, so that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Bayern Munich. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Very left field, but uh, Lewandowski's not getting younger despite scoring... Who goes against Dortmund on the weekend? And Bayern are going to actually spend a lot of money this summer by their standards. They're they're planning to spend their the biggest amount they've ever done after years of saying that we will. Never. Yeah, I don't think if they're going to spend all that money to to bolster a squad, they'll potentially try and purchase someone that could be a disruptive in, uh, influence. They have, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they they brought in Robin and Ribery not so long ago. <laughs> who are these, these makers. But I don't know. Yeah, I think that's giving a I think that's doing a disservice to Robin's professionalism. We um, are we're overlooking the obvious team here, which is where, let's be honest, he's gonna end up. Juventus. Well again, I think I think this has painted him in such a bad light that I think even Juventus might be reconsidering any offer. Oh yeah, because no, I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. I'll I'll bite my tongue because I'll get us in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, um, Roberto Gagliardini, he's been up and down, up and down pretty much ever since he went to Inter. He was excellent against Genoa and not so excellent against Atalanta. Vito, 
is he just not at that level? Personally, I don't think uh, he's at the inter level. He's probably more suited to a team like Fiorentino or Lazio, in my opinion. That being said, let's say Spalletti goes at the end of the season and they bring in Antonio Conte because supposedly, according to the reports, he's more favoured than Jose Mourinho at this stage. I reckon a player like Gagliardini would fit into Antonio Conte's methods. Just, you know, win the ball, run your guts out and keep things simple. So probably in Antonio Conte inter, it might actually serve a purpose. Under Spalletti or even another coach, I do have my doubts. And Antonio Conte inter is a strange, strange sentence that we might have to get used to saying, which is quite bizarre. But anyway, we'll move on because we did spend quite a long time on the first game. So we are going, sorry, Vito, to, to the Marassi, where Roma surprised a lot of people, really, by beating Sampdoria 1-0. Kev, they needed a hero. And the ultimate hero, Daniele De Rossi, stepped up and got the goal. Yeah, it was one of those games where it was it was only ever going to be a scruffy goal from, you know, one of their talisman, really. I was I was quite disappointed with both sides considering what 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 rested on the game. You know the opportunity to sort of get into the European places for Samp and then for Roma to reignite their sort of challenge for Champions League places. They just considering the changing coach. I don't I just don't know what's going on with Roma. No. One minute they looked like they they wanted to play for Di Francesco. He went and then. It looked like they just weren't good enough under Ranieri. They don't, then, yes, you know, on Saturday night, they looked like they just weren't really thrilled with however Ranieri had set them up. There's the bones of a good side there, but again, probably the most important decision for them this summer is who's going to sort of take over the reins there. Yeah, it can't be Ranieri, really. It could be. Marco Giampaolo. I mean, he probably did quite a good job there. Vito? He has been linked with the Roma coaching job for next season, and he has been linked with a couple other clubs too. I think even the Milanese clubs are reportedly interested. But the Roma one is an intriguing one. I think his coaching would suit Roma, and he'd have a stronger squad to work with than what he does at Sampdoria at the moment. But uh, I, there's just something about Gianpaolo, I don't know. He, he comes across as the kind of coach that might not thrive under pressure very well. And he's had that stagnation in his coaching career. So really, I think he's done well at Sampdoria, maybe over the three years. I think he's done what he's been capable of. But if he goes to Roma, it'd be like, Di Francesco leaving Sassuolo for the Giallo Rossi. Big expectations, bigger pressure being in Rome, you know, the capital city of Italy and one of the most historical cities of the world. So I think he's got the players to play his football, but depends on the demands. If they're expecting Champions League football with a coach like Giampaolo, who's never coached in the Champions League or even coached in the Europa League from memory, um, I think uh, that's where I'd have my concerns that he's not, he hasn't shown enough for me to show that he can take the next step 
that mm. he can really exceed expectations. Probably in terms of player development, yes, he can improve players. But for the team to get bigger results than what they're expected to, I'm not convinced as yet. I, I think the Roma job would suit him quite well because he's walking into a, a situation where the squad has been built to play that type of football. They've, they've had a couple of years under Di Francesco where they've been playing that type of football and I think he would do quite well there. I was surprised because I saw you tweeting about this, Vito, and you were saying you'd be happy to see him go if Sam could get a better coach under the proposed new structure there. But who is a better coach that they could actually get? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, that's going to be very tough because there aren't many options free on the market yet. I was actually speaking to a few people on the, on Twitter again, that seems to be the thing. Um, let's say Gianluca Vialli and the York uh, Capital Group or Investment Group, they buy Sampdoria off Massimo Ferrero. Um, depending on how much they invest, I wouldn't mind them taking a chance on Di Francesco and giving him a bit of money to build the squad because I do still rate Di Francesco as a coach. I think just there's too much politics and pressure regarding Roma, whereas at Sampdoria, I don't think he'd really get that. I reckon he would get a bit more time to work on his methods, and even if he goes to a high and then has a bit of a slip, I don't think he'd be crucified like the press would or the Romanisti would, you know, get into him. So I wouldn't mind Di Francesco. Not only that, what I like about Di Francesco is... You know, he usually plays 4-3-3. This season's been more of a 4-2-3-1, but I'd like a coach probably that doesn't play with that Requatista because Gaston Ramirez and Ricardo Saponara, they're good on the day, but they're too inconsistent. So I think that's where Di Francesco would offer Sampdoria something different, that you can't just rely on your number 10 these days to be that creative outlet. What you need, Vito, is to get a, a number 10 like Papu Gomez and all of your problems will be solved. But I, I do think... Maybe, <laughs> um, hands off, by the way. But maybe, Don't we think uh, this is quite sad? What? Well, you know, we've just... Vito's just said that he'd be happy for Gianpaolo hmm. to go if Sam can get a better coach. And then his first suggestion is the former Roma coach. And this is this is my argument. Is why did they not give Di Francesco more time? I agree. I he had less than two because seasons. Because they're nuts. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you have less than two seasons. You've got a, a youngish, well, youngish players there. They they obviously invested in bringing in those players. Oh, why? I oh, just the frustration. No, I completely agree because they panicked. They completely panicked. The club was. I don't know what was happening, but it was a really negative and toxic atmosphere around the place. They got knocked out of the Champions League in a way that could not be blamed on Di Francesco. And they completely panicked, got rid of their sporting director and their manager at the same time and decided to start afresh by bringing in Claudio Ranieri. You'll make mistakes. Yeah. And that is what you learn from. But now he hasn't got the chance to have next season to effectively rectify those mistakes. It's... Everything's a learning curve, and you know, they just don't give these guys. And the thing is, you do, you often see them come back round sort of 18 months, two years later at a, another club, and then they excel, and then they maybe get another big job, and then they, they don't get enough time in that again. Yeah, but it, it is, it will be quite funny if they did just do the, a coaching swap, right? 
So Giampaolo and Di Francesco just swap jobs. And you'll see the same cycle. Di Francesco will do as well as Giampaolo has done at Sampdoria. Sampdoria might get bored, move on. Giampaolo would do a similar job to Di Francesco at Roma. Realise that Roma aren't Juventus or one of the next two teams. And Roma would panic and get rid of him too. And then they'd go to Atalanta or they'd go to Fiorentina and they'd do similarly fine. It's I don't know what these teams are actually realistically aiming at because Roma were still knocking on the door at the Champions League and I don't know what they are. They're still knocking on the door now, but it's it you're right, it does just seem completely pointless. All of this sacking, it's a little bit depressing and mind numbingly dull to talk about at times, but it's just I, I can't wrap my head around it either, Kev, to be perfectly honest with you. Because my next point on the running order is that Clivert, Schick, Cristante and Zaniolo all started which are the players that they were brought in all quite young all with their futures ahead of them all still learning and now they've got to learn something completely different but is there something there for a new coach to work with whoever it is yeah definitely you know you know I watched the game um oh well, god my week is completely oh, just gone, but yeah midweek is Fior- midweek get Fiorentina you know that's when he, he he dropped Olsen he put in Cliver he put in Zaniolo and you think you know there's talent there you know but people somebody's got to be able to give them the time to work with them sorry you're laughing because I mentioned Olsen yeah he's gone he's gone he's gone <laughs> you mentioned Olsen being dropped and then spoke about two players they got brought in neither of them for him <laughs> no well okay well yeah well, okay. Marante, Marante's <laughs> significantly older than both Cliver and Zaniolo um, right that, Olsen was dropped Kev you happy well, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you've got to be, haven't you? I'm not a Roma fan, but I think even the uh, even the Roma fans must be <laughs> ecstatic at Olsen's out. I'm quite disappointed <laughs> because he was and he made me smile every week. <laughs> yeah, for the wrong reasons. Well, I'm not a Roma fan, so it doesn't bother to me. Vito, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, at least with Antonio Miranti, he made a fine fingertip save from Gregoire de in the first half. So, um, based on Olsen's form, I reckon if Olsen was still there, that probably would have been a sump goal. Oh, 100%. And there probably would have been three more as well, just because Robin Olsen would have thrown the ball into his own net. Did you guys see? <laughs> uh, was it Chippo Mojang from PSG? Did you see his miss? Yes. Yeah, I saw that tonight, yeah. How did he do you have that? You see that. If he don't... I'm using the word literally in its most literal sense. He was literally on the goal line and he hit the post. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Oh, man, there, don't there go go through more retweets, Vito. You'll find it. He had to hit the ball. He catched the ball on the line. Three angle and he managed to not do that. It was unbelievable. But anyway. Um, Coming just, to a Serie A club near you soon <laughs> next season. Yeah, Roma. Let's be honest. Um, while we're on Samp, actually, the, the interview with Jacopo Sala is now up and live. It's You can read it on ForzaItalianFootball.com or you can watch it on ForzaItalianFootball.com or somewhere on this very YouTube channel if you're watching us record this live. So, do that. Anyway, um, Napoli won, Genoa won. I don't care about this, Kev. Napoli didn't seem to care about this. And... I think Juventus don't even probably care about this. No, I know before we came on, you said about Napoli not caring about it. I don't think they care about the league, but I, I've 
I was out enjoying some pizza, so I only saw the highlights. They battered the general goal at times, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I had to watch the highlights back to work out if I was watching replays of the actual shots. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I had it on a stream. And you know the way sometimes streams just rewind themselves? Yeah. Like, I thought that was happening. I thought I was just caught in a loop, but no, it kept ticking along. But yeah, but they didn't take any other chances. And if they were more switched on, they probably would have. And you'd like to think they will in midweek, maybe. Yeah, but there's no, I suppose there's nothing to indicate why they would not take them take them tonight, unless it's just they were using it really as a sort of a shooting practice. Let's speak about midweek, Vito. They do have Arsenal in the Europa League. I think I've got that fixture right, and I've not mixed it up with like Villarreal or something, have I? But um it's going to be tricky for them. Arsenal did lose this weekend as well, but it's not going to be easy. No. no. Look, Arsenal, they're not what they were 15, 20 years ago, but still a strong enough team. They made the semi-finals last season. So in the, in the Europa League, Arsenal will still provide enough of a challenge for Napoli. But um, I think Napoli will do much better than what AC Milan did against the Gunners last season. I you think uh, Ancelotti, yeah, I think Ancelotti will get his uh, squad formation and rotations right. So um, I think they're in with a chance. I think they had a huge slice of luck with the second leg being moved to the San Paolo. Was that? Because uh, UEFA didn't allow them to play on the same night as Chelsea. Oh. So Arsenal had to, they had to switch the tie. And I think, you know, you know, after being at the San Paolo this season when um, Napoli played Liverpool, I think if they can get a decent decent, decent result in London on Thursday, I think that's a, a huge advantage. It might not be the point, but why have you ever done that? Because it happened with Sevilla and Betis in the last round. So it's, to do with, it's to do with policing. It's to do with the fans coming into the city on the same day. No, I get that completely, but... To reverse the fixture is unfair on Arsenal. When it happened with Sevilla and Real Betis in the last round and Sevilla just played on the Wednesday. Yeah, they've done it with Manchester United and City in the Champions League quarterfinals as well. That must be something to do with English police then, is it? Uh, I'm not oh, I'm not sure. It's obviously the City trying to cope with that many fans coming in at any one time, but it then goes on your league position from the from the year before. So, because Arsenal finished below Chelsea, they were the people. They were the team that had to lose their uh, their home advantage for the second leg. That has to be a an English regulation. If well, I think it's. I've seen it in Turkey where they've made Fenerbahce play on a Tuesday. Yeah, uh, I know they, that happened earlier this season, I believe, and then Galatasaray played on the or Besiktas played on the Thursday. When you know, and so they just moved the fixtures around, but they didn't make them switch the ties. They just made them play them on a yeah, two days before. Exactly what they should do. That's it. Anyway, I'm getting too annoyed with that. I'm going to look into that. Uh, ben is in the comments. He says, "Hi guys, hello Ben. Send us a question or something." Would be more. Hi Ben. <laughs> I don't want to um, All right, let's forget about that. Lazio two, Sassuolo two. This was dramatic laid on Vito. Yeah, it was well. Lulic got the equaliser in the 96th minute and yeah, after getting a couple decent results in big games, Lazio nearly lost to Sassuolo, which had been a, in a bad run until they smashed Kiev before 0 midweek. Uh, yeah, another point, but yeah, they probably should have been uh, beating Sassuolo, to be honest. 
they did take the lead to Immobile earlier, but yeah, it's these kind of games that Lazio should win if they really have Champions League aspirations. Uh, yeah, Lazio fans, I'm so, so sorry because you always seem to get overlooked and you already hate us, but we've spent too long on other teams and we want to talk about the relegation zone, so we're going no, to... No, wait, is there, is, there, is there anything funnier, though, than watching a side score in the 89th minute, all of the players and coaching staff run to the corner and then they still don't win the game. Um, oh, no, I take so much pleasure out of that. I'm not sure why. Uh, yeah, no, me too. It's fantastic. It really, really is. But I celebrated Sassuolo's seemingly winning goal a lot. So then I felt silly when they lost. <laughs> not quite as much as the Sassuolo players. Said, oh, Ben's a Forest and Parma fan. We'll move on to Parma maybe in a bit. But that game was dire. Um, okay, let's go to the bottom because things are heated down there. Frozen beat Fiorentina 1-0. Udinese beat Empoli 3-2. Cagliari beat Spal 2-1. And Bologna-Chievo is tomorrow. Fiorentina 0, Frozen on a 1. Kev, is there any chance Frozen on a can stay up? They're only five points off safety now. And they've won oh. their last two. I've been saying for weeks, well, I've just been referring to Kievo and Frosinone as relegated for weeks and weeks and weeks. And obviously, it, mathematically, yes, I think they will come up against a tougher opposition than Fiorentina were today because, it, you know, it was like watching a, a pre-season fixture. There just didn't seem to be any energy from the from the Fiorentina players. Well, other than Chiesa, who's always kind of energetic. And drag that team along a little bit. Um, Rubbish game. Frozenone's got an awful running, haven't they? I'm just remembering. A couple of weeks ago, I looked at it and I thought they've got some. They've got some really tough. Right, I'll read out. We've got Inter at home, Cagliari away, Napoli at home, Sassuolo away, three points. Udinese, Milan, and Chievo. So there are some win. They could beat Chievo. They probably get six points. Sassuolo and Chievo and maybe Udinese. They could get 12 points there, mate. Yeah. They could easily get 12 points. And if we're looking at the Serie A table now, the highest place relegation team is Bologna on 27 points. It'll probably be about 33-ish points to stay up this season. Yeah. You imagine Bologna will climb out tomorrow beating Chievo. Yeah. You would expect an Empoli fall back. They're at home as well. But I don't know, 33 points could do it. And you could see Frozenone just doing something absolutely mad, which would be amazing. That's bad, isn't it? I wouldn't mind doing it. Kev, what did you say? That's bad, isn't it? 33 points to stay out. It's not very good, but um, even the the points tally for the Champions League is probably going to be quite low. But anyway, Vito, do you reckon Frozenone will do it? I'm going to be pessimistic and say no at the moment. So I just think that uh, Bologna and the Mahalovic have really turned a corner and the way he's brought the best out of their attacking weapons, I think uh, they are capable of staying up. And Empoli, they just got to make sure that Francesco Caputo is scoring. So, and they put Andrezzoli back and they play better football under him than under Beppe Iacchini. It will be interesting to see how Bologna bounce back because they... For 15 minutes against Atalanta, they were absolutely pummeled. And they've got, I mean, their fixtures aren't exactly the most 
difficult in the next coming weeks. They've got Kievo and then they've got the Fiorentina who have nothing to play for. They also play Empoli, Parma. Before the end of the season, they've also got, they play Napoli, Milan, Lazio, Sampdoria. It's not the easiest for them either, but it's going to be interesting down there between now and the end of the season, that's for sure. Um, all right, any, any predictions? I think I did predictions last week, but Kev, can I get your, your bottom three prediction? Uh, I'm still going to go with Kievo and Frosnone, and then I'm going to have Empoli just to drop in there, I think. Same three as me. Vito, your three? You're on mute. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everyone. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Look, I'm going to stay the same with you guys as well because since, look, it's only two or three games, but since Udinese hired Igor Tudor, they just look better offensively now. So I think they're going to be okay. And Rolando Mandragora, he's been pulling out a few couple nice goals. So yeah. he's pulling out a couple goals, which are good. So it's something. There you have it. Then we all say Empoli will go down. So Empoli will stay up. Put your money on it. It's going to happen. All right. Um, Parma Torino. Torino had a big, big chance to put the pressure on the teams above them to put the pressure on the Champions League and they didn't take it. And someone tweeted me to say uh, along the lines of Torino always get to here, but they can never get to here. And it's kind of true. And Mazzari deserves a lot of credit, Vito, despite what you want to say about his system at Torino because it's, it's doing some good stuff for them. But should he be held accountable for their lack of creativity? Oh, Absolutely. Um, with Mazzari and his Torino team, it's been more or less, uh, you know, caution first or defend first approach. And yeah, I think it's a bit unfortunate that with Mazzari's tactics, they're not really bringing the best out of uh, Balotti despite his recent turnaround in form. And also, they got other attacking weapons like uh, like uh, Falke, Parigini, a few others too. And then Ole Aina is good when he's playing on the one of the wing-back positions as well as De Silvestri. So. And then Baselli, when he wants to do well, he can score some nice goals or provide some good assists. But I think with Mazzari, it's about the defensive phase and the uh, off-the-ball movements than what they do on the ball. Parma were really there for the taking because that was a second-string team. Um, Bruno Alves was gone. Uh, Bastoni didn't start Grassi's got his long-term injuries Gervinio wasn't there Inglese wasn't there it was basically Kuchka Seppe and you know what I think of him and the rest of their mates it was it was a poor team and Torino didn't do it we've got a question about this game hi guys what are your thoughts on Simone Zaza Kev will go to you I'm desperate to see him scoring and playing more um Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what he did on on Saturday, shall I? He came, on off. he came on and just started elbowing Galliolo. He gave him one elbow, well, two kind of, because he went with his right and then his left, got him once, got a yellow card. Then he did the same thing again, got away with it. He should have been sent off twice. These are about the only things that did happen in the game. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, Zaza strikes me as someone that now realizes that he's not gonna, you know, make it in air commas. You know that he he's had his he's had his shot at a top side, and 
he, he kind of just has that air about him that he's just happy to pick up a pick up a paycheck, play a, play football. Do you think? <sighs> I, I mean, he's twenty eight now, or this year he will be. So yeah, it does look that way. But I, I don't think he's properly utilized. I'd agree with that. He's not in a team that suits him very well. It, on paper, him and Balotti should work together with Falke behind, but it doesn't happen enough. And if they were, if Andrea Balotti, Simone Zadza, and Iago Falke were playing for Atalanta under Giampiero Gasparini, they'd be scoring a lot of goals. I'd believe that never, too. Yeah, I just can never work out what Zaza is as an attacker. Is he, you know, could he play through the middle on his own? Could he play part of a two? Could he come off wide? It's like he's still been searching for where, where he'd fit in a system and somebody could build something you know, around him. I think he's Diego Costa light. He's just a little bit mad. He runs around a lot. He likes to get in fights and he can finish. But I don't know. It's a strange one. But yeah, um, speaking, speaking of Matsari, this was the most terrifying press conference I've ever been to. He was mad. He, he was fighting with people, not physically, sadly, but he was getting arguments. If anyone dared to say Torino missed a chance, he was calling them out. There were long, aggressive, silent pauses and stares. Um, it was just, it was amazing. One time he, he made eye contact with me at one point and I didn't like it, Kev, I'll be honest with you. Because he was very, very angry at the man sitting in front of me. And then the man kind of stopped looking and started typing while Matari was speaking to him. Matari was staring at him, trying to get his attention. He stopped speaking, then looked at me as if to be like, get him to look at me again. So I, I just didn't do anything. Who, then, who broke Who broke the eye contact first, uh, you or Matsari? Oh, absolutely me. But okay. not long after I did, Matsari went, oh! And then the guy looked back at him and he gave out to him for being rude, which was fantastic. But yeah, Matsari press conferences are always a, a pleasant experience in one way, I guess. But guys, I think we've made it to the end. Have we? Um, well, we've covered a lot. We have. We spent a lot of time on those other games. Yeah. Um, oh. Oh. oh we, so there's one game we didn't speak about. I just want to make one point because it annoyed me. So I tried to watch Calorie Spell. Okay. How do the officials or the club allow Viviano to play in an all grey oh. goalkeeper kit when Spell got white shorts, white oh. socks, and a light blue stripes? And, it, and he wears the number two as well, which is everything. Every time the ball got tossed into the box from the corner, I couldn't see him. I did have no idea where the goalkeeper was. That's the idea. He's, dead. He's trying to trick people. Oh, it was frustrating for me and God for anybody sitting on a the bench. They must have been wondering what was going on. Um, are you all right, Kev? Yes. No, it just annoyed me. Because I just I just seen it on my notes and I realised because it annoyed it was annoying me. I know that when you hit like a certain age, you're right. Oh uh, yeah. A little bit, um, but no. I think Ethan's was about ten, though. <laughs> Do you remember back that part? Um, sorry, Again, yes, guys. Serie B was interesting, so we're not going to talk about it. But go over and look at the the race for promotion because it's always good, and this year is no exception. Lecce drop points. Brescia are going to come up, and Atalanta and Brescia will kill each other next year. But anyway, guys, <laughs> we've got a Kev. Thank you. Pleasure. Really.
Yeah, I'll go get in a stairlift and uh, go up, <laughs> up to bed. Vida. Olsen didn't play. He was happy. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Connor. That uh, was another good chat. And thank you from me, guys. Right, until next week, when not quite as much football will happen between us speaking. Head over to ForzaTalkingFootball.com, read all our articles, our features, our everything. Get our reaction for when Juventus inevitably win the league. I will hopefully be there in Ferrara for it. And yeah, follow us on Instagram, ForzaTalkingFootball, Twitter at SerieIFFC, and what's the other one? Ah, Facebook, ForzaTalkingFootball.com. Goodbye. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Sciarpe nel vento è una città che sogna e che canta Ale, Frosinone Ale, non ti lascerò mai, sarò sempre con te Ale, Frosinone Ale, non ti lascerò mai being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.